Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast with Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Pastor Bob conducts personal interviews with Christian influencers from around the globe, helping Christian authors, recording artists, CEOs, entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, and yes, pastors and ministry leaders to get the word out about what they are doing to impact the world with the gospel. Our podcast has been rated in the top one half percent of all podcasts in the world by ListenNotes.com, so you know your message will be heard. Now, here is your host with today's interview, Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Hello, everyone, everywhere. Pastor Robert Thibodeau here. Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads podcast today. You know, for those that listen to this podcast and our radio broadcast, you know I've been preaching about the end times for several years now. And how we can tell that it's getting closer and closer just by watching the news on television every night. Between the chaos, the climate, the wars and rumors of wars, we also have scientific development that has really has created the ability to wipe out the human race through you know pandemics, et cetera, just through using technology. Our guest today has written several books that is going to shake you awake and realize just how a precarious situation we are living in right now. His first book was called The Curse of Cortez, followed by, and there's a great swarm, Artificial Intelligent Decodes End-Time Prophecies, and his most recent book titled The Lost Ark, The Lost Secrets of Qumran. Now, in his books, Guy Morris blends real-life technological advances and real-life situations that we are facing with religious research, with current events, and then adds in artificial intelligence scenarios that it'll have you on the edge of your seat. Amen. Guy Morris has multiple degrees, over 36 years of leadership experience at companies like IBM, Oracle, and Microsoft. He is a proven thought leader in adopting advanced technologies, implementing complex IT applications. His success stories range from design on a macroeconomic model that actually outperformed the Federal Reserve and all major banks, to building worldwide high-performance teams and innovating early artificial intelligence systems technology. He's also a Disney published composer, a musician with multiple CDs, a researcher of history and prophecy, as well as an author of artificial intelligence, espionage, religious, political, and history thrillers. Ladies and gentlemen, help me welcome to the program, Guy Morris. Guy, it is such a blessing to talk with you today. I have been looking forward to this conversation today, brother. So have I, Robert. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Amen. Now, the first question I always start with is this. Other than that brief information that I just shared, can you tell us in your own words, who is Guy Morris? I I, I am an unlikely um, success story. I, I started off in life in, in an abusive alcoholic family. I was a 13-year-old runaway on the streets of Los Angeles. Um, I got ultimately kicked out of school for getting involved in a gang fight and hitchhiked my way to Arizona where I joined a Christian commune. And it was a number of years after that, through a series of miracles, frankly, that that I got it accepted into the University of Arizona um, and in struggle, to be honestly, I was functionally illiterate for the first few years. I had to learn how to a lot of basic skills. But somewhere along the line, I think God chose me and 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 blessed me. I started things in my brain started clicking. I ended up on the dean's list. I, I wrote the macroeconomic model that you mentioned. I got a scholarship to grad school. I was accepted at Harvard. Wow. Uh, and I started working at IBM was my first job. And that was just the beginning of a new life for me. Now Amen. I still had to struggle with a lot of my 
it turned out to be, and I didn't understand this till years later, post-traumatic stress from my childhood that caused a lot of issues in my life. But the Lord eventually kept working me through and it just, just like a, a stone and a grinding stone to polish me. He just kept rolling me around until I, until I stopped having so many rough edges. Amen. Uh, and, and during that time, I was, I had never, I, I, I was always trying to, um, mesh up my 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 christian faith with my uh, with my often high pressured analytical uh, uh high exposure jobs i reported to cxos and, and a number ran on a number of different teams and it was during that time that i really started to understand and develop a new understanding of what prophecy would mean and how do i how do i interpret prophecy in a way that as for an analytical scientific mind, I, I could make sense of, and, and without kind of relying on sort of the old analogies of the 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 kook with the sign on the on the corner saying the end is near, and I, I wanted to basically bring it down to things that I could uh, I could validate, things that I could reel in, and I started looking at world events, I started looking at technologies, politics, religion, everything in a very new light after this, and uh, and it started when I actually just was reading National Geographic and I was reading about a loss of the fish of the sea stocks. It was a particular article about fish sea stocks. And it was talking about this loss on a worldwide basis. It wasn't just the Northeast. It wasn't just a particular region where we had overfished. It was, it had to do with, um, it, it compassed everything from the loss of corals, which are essentially the nurseries for the fish stocks, uh, all the way through to all of the various major uh, fisheries around the world. And I remembered at the time, I, I said, well, gee, that, that sounds like the, one of the trumpets, seven trumpets that talks about a loss of the third of the fish of the sea. And so I went through and I actually researched at the library every article out of National Geographic from 1948 on that exactly. dealt with these issues. And I collected a number of sets of data. And then at the time I was working for a large oil company. And so I had access to geologic data and my job gave me access to very sophisticated nonlinear regression tools and, and pro probability models. And so I spent an entire weekend uh, with just a small subset of 15 prophecies, starting with the creation of Israel, uh, which in itself was a unique event in all of history that a world body would come together and together vote that a a people that had been displaced 2000 years earlier would be allowed to go back to their <laughs> cultural homeland. Yeah. Never, ever heard of in any other historical context, in mythology, anywhere exactly. in history. And it was a singular event. So I started there and I worked my way forward to these number of things that I could document. And I, I was trying to say I wasn't going to try and interpret things that either I couldn't really understand yet or maybe that hadn't been documented yet. But I was just going to start with that small set of 15. And the results at the end of the weekend were, were astounded me. It was one in 1.4 trillion that we these events were random um, or, or chance. Yeah. And that experience started me really thinking about my, my job, my career, the kind of work I was doing, the kind of companies I was working for, um, how I interpreted my own politics. And, and I, I, I started the process of divorcing myself from all political beliefs uh, or believing in any political system, seeing them as idols, um, uh, because both sides are wrong on some on, on multiple levels. Exactly. And um, I started really looking at um, all of the, the things that I could, and I was a voracious reader. And so that really it changed my view. 
uh, of world events and technologies and 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 where we were in in the path of prophecy. Amen. And it took another. It was not too long after that that I had a different experience that also re- reset a lot of my thinking around the impact of artificial intelligence and how that would be used by these various governments and corporations. Well, let me. I mean, I could talk to you for hours on this stuff, but I want to focus, like you said, on the artificial intelligence um, Mm -hmm. for this episode as it relates to end time prophecy. So let's just start with your definition of what artificial intelligence is and how it's evolved since you started working with it. Great question. Um, I I started working with artificial intelligence back in the 90s when it was really not even called artificial intelligence at the time. We were using what we were called expert systems. And these were systems that would take a series of uh, take experts and we would basically distill their knowledge of particular types of events and technologies and activities to say, well, if this, then either this, this or this. And then if this, then maybe this, this or this. And I would we were using it um, to basically train um, 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 auditors that would go all over the world across a number of different technologies and platforms and, and businesses to help train them on how do they think about um, analyzing a complex business that maybe they weren't an expert in. And so we started using artificial intelligence at uh, expert systems as a as a vehicle to basically re- help them get through these complex ca- complicated analysis. And um, that then evolved a few years later. We started looking at machine learning, where we would teach the the, the program itself uh, would be able to kind of start getting more refined. And as computers got more powerful and can go through these iterations on their own, not just one or 10 or 100 or 1,000 times, but millions of times to refine that analysis, uh, that became uh, sort of what we're, we're now calling artificial intelligence. Now, for most people, it, artificial intelligence is sort of this one-size-fits-all ubiquitous thing, but it's not. There's actually multiple types or, or levels of artificial intelligence, and, and depending upon the level depends upon how it could be either misused or the risks involved in artificial intelligence itself. Yeah, I, I've seen on your, your website information that you know there's many different types of artificial intelligence. Can you That's share right. with us the major types, what they are, how they're different, how they interact uh, with each other and possibly with us? Absolutely. The, 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 the simplest type of artificial intelligence that's used most often in, in a lot of industry and, and, and um, productions and operations is what we call artificial narrow intelligence, A&I. Now, artificial narrow intelligence will take a very specific, very narrow task. Uh, a good example is in medicine, where we've teaching artificial intelligence to analyze the output from CAT scans to be able to detect either certain diseases or certain cancer cells before they uh, become dangerous. And we've now got artificial intelligence that can do that task better than any of the doctors, and it's been proven. And so, but all they do is this one thing over and over and over and over and over, and then they learn from their mistakes to basically get better and better and better. Um, and so the risk there is is fairly limited. They're not really attached to any other system. They have a very limited type of output. They don't necessarily communicate with other intelligence. Um, uh, but and, and the only risk there is that they fail at the task uh, to detect something when they could have, uh, which is getting really, really uh, minor in terms of their performance. 
The next level of intelligence is the one that most people will identify with. Recently, you heard about the Google computer Lambda that had reached a level of sentient um, uh, intelligence, which sentient means a a level of self-awareness. Now, the next level beyond sentient will be sentient and singularity, which means that a unique, a single artificial intelligence is as smart as a human. Now, I'm assuming that smart is a smart human rather than a dumb one, which means that that artificial intelligence, if it's as smart as a smart human, could actually replicate another artificial intelligence. Now, these, um, this AGI, the artificial general intelligence, is the one that that we think of most because they have conversational skills. They have analytical. They have the ability to think about a topic. They have the ability to go learn about multiple topics from mathematics to history to philosophy to religion, and they don't always interpret things well. And this gets back to a warning by Bill Gates that as we build these super intelligence, it's not always we can't count on them always agreeing with our goals and our values. And so that becomes one of the first levels of kind of a risk, which is as artificial intelligence learn to think for itself and communicate that, that creates a risk for us in that it may decide to move or develop in an area that we don't necessarily agree with. And that actually takes place on a number of levels. Not only does machine learning help the artificial intelligence refine the algorithms to do the task analysis it's been designed to do, but machine we've now taught um, artificial intelligence how to code from scratch. So again, an artificial intelligence is learning how to use these computer tools that it's designed on by itself. It's almost like an AI learning how to do DNA um, um, manipulation. And so now we've got artificial intelligence learning how to basically code itself and then code other things outside of itself based on some sort of parameters. And we may not always know what those are. Now, there's interesting, there's this AGI named Sophia, who is a citizen now, so sophisticated, it's now become a citizen of Saudi Arabia. Wow. Wow. Now, the third level intelligence is where, now, one other quick thing on AGI before I move on. AGIs get a lot of their information and their depth of knowledge from what we call neural networks. Neural networks are essentially... Imagine um, thousands and thousands of various artificial intelligence, either AGIs or ANIs or the next level we'll, we'll talk about in a minute. And they're all connected together, communicating with each other, passing forth information back and forth. And that communication between artificial intelligence, um, we can't always interpret. Nor can we always interpret the code that artificial intelligence creates. So while it's creating code, we're not always sure exactly what it's doing with that code. So those are that kind of black box, and and that's only part of the black box concept of artificial intelligence, which we know we can put data in, we know we're getting outcomes out, but we don't really have the ability to necessarily test and validate what it's doing in between to get to that output. So which creates sort of an unknown, even for the developer. Now, the last form of artificial intelligence is called Integrated Artificial Intelligence, or IAI. And this is the most dangerous form, in my view, um, because it's what we use to run very complicated systems. Self-driving cars use IAI. Um, and and more uh, um, stock markets, um, infrastructure um, systems, agricultural shipping systems will look at multiple different types of 
um, narrow intelligence and pulling that information together to do a number of different things. Robotics, for example, uh, Di- Boston Dynamics uses uh, that form of AI. Mm. But so do so does DARPA, the DOD, and weapon systems. And that's mm. where when we talk, you t- mentioned my book Swarm. Swarm deals with an actual IAI weapon system that's made up of thousands and t- or tens of thousands of individual um, weaponized uh, drones that can attack in a swarm, almost like a, if you imagine a swarm of hornets coming at you, it's really, other than other than run and hide, it's really impossible to really fight them because they're coming from all different angles and all different places, and, and there's no weapon that we have that could actually defeat this. And, and all DARPA is actually target. working. <laughs> they're all attacking one target, too. You. Well, <laughs> exactly. and um, Or they could be attacking multiple targets, and they're yeah. being developed to basically uh, use for um, urban warfare, such as attacking a village in the Middle East where you don't you might have insurgents hiding in different places. You don't want to risk your own people doing this. You send in a swarm uh, that's called the hive, and they'll basically go through uh, alleys and through doors and windows and and roofs and backyards, and they'll find these um, um, these individuals and and basically reduce that threat. And that was the one of the wow. reasons they developed it. A non-lethal version of the hive was used in the 2020 Gaza war to basically infiltrate that area to figure out where things, were, uh, rockets were being uh, launched from and guide Israel to basically where they should be targeting. So we've now got weapon systems that are um, um, developing on this kind of platform. And one of the most dangerous, there is a international treaty called LAWS, a lethal autonomous weapon systems that basically says it's okay for artificial intelligence to go do surveillance and say, hey, the target is over here, but there should be a human who ultimately makes that decision of whether there should be a kill. Um, The laws, um, but it doesn't, but IAI doesn't necessarily have to have a human make that kill decision, which is very, very dangerous for us. And the three of the uh, of the ha- small handful of countries that did not uh, agree to that um, treaty protocol was the United States, China, Russia, Iran, all all the players, North Korea, all the players that we we really yeah. want to be adhering to that. And that makes it makes you wonder why they didn't want to subscribe to it. Probably because they've already developed the technology to use what they got. Exactly. And, and we know that China has their own version of the hive mm. that they're um, working on and training for part of their invasion for Taiwan. Wow. Now, the invasion of Taiwan represents unique risks for us because that's where 85% of all the advanced um, silicon ships are made that power things yeah. like AI. Yeah. So by controlling Taiwan, uh, China hopes to basically cripple the United States AI development. Um wow. Is it true that I read somewhere? Is it true that anyone with enough money can hire their own team and set up their own AI for any reason? So glad you asked that. That that actually gets to in my my research and in I, in my papers and in the book. One of the other key dangers of AI that makes it so unique is that, for for example, we all know that nuclear power, nuclear weapons are super destructive, super deadly, and so as an international community, we regulate them really tightly. Uh, we 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 keep all that information top secret. We keep the access to the material, um, um, plutonium and other materials, highly guarded and top secret. And and while things happen and it can get out, it's not easy. AI is different. 
any billionaire with enough money can hire developers. Those developers can look at existing patents and they can develop an AI for a malicious or nefarious purpose. Mm. Now imagine AI impacting, and this is already happening, our national security, our cybersecurity. So imagine an AI powered computer virus that can take down the internet. And when it fails, it learns how what it did wrong and it basically gets better and better and better and better and better all the time. And it's developing faster than we can basically protect against it. And so that scenario is part of also part of the scenario I put into Swarm, which is there's dark money in AI, unlike anything that we've seen in any of other our, um, uh, other negative technologies around the world, because of how easy it is for people with with lots of money to basically hire these skills and then develop a weapon from them. Man, is, is why doesn't the government try and regulate this? Well, the government is the, our government is is very advanced in terms of their um, espionage um, weaponization of AI, but they're they're kind of behind the scenes. They're kind of behind the curve from commercial sector in terms of using AI to run their operations. And the reason they are trying to to deal with this, they are trying to um, 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 understand what our enemies are doing, but. Uh, there's always a hesitancy to basically create an all-out war um, mm -hmm. over these issues. Um, there is more subvert things going on um, that that you can read about in my books, but um, it is a problem because um, espionage itself is an imperfect science. Uh, there's a lot. There's uh, we we try to do a good job at finding secrets. We can do an amazing things in terms of breaking into um, computer networks and other things. But once AI starts to get involved in not only our cybers, um, cyber security weapons, it can also be used in terms of cybersecurity protections. And so you've now got a situation where you might have an AI versus an AI. Um, one AI might be saying, I, I'm here to protect a network, and the other AI says, I'm here to break a network. And depending upon how well those are designed and how well they're um, um implement it with data and, and the other things they need will depend on how that goes. Which gets to the RAND Corporation had uh, put out a study for the DOD a few years ago. And the study was the 10 most top strategic risks to the United States. And I think it was number five or five or six or seven on that list was AI data poisoning. All AI, every single AI, has to reside, it functions based on massive, massive, massive amounts of data. Um, and if I can find a way to pollute that data, I can create a sabotage to your AI that's virtually untraceable. Mm. Wow. And so we look at that in my second book, The Last Ark, um, not the lost ark, the last ark. Last ark. Um, it, we look at that scenario, and coming from we a few years ago, we had a Solar Winds hack, and it was, in my view, the most dangerous hack that we've ever had in our history. Mm. And the reason it was the most dangerous, we we still don't know that it took. We can't confirm that it took any information, but the Solar Winds had basically penetrated eighteen thousand corporations and eight major U.S. agencies for nine months before we, by accident discovered it. Uh, we had no tools to discover it up front because it came in through the back door. And rather than coming in and attacking our networks from the external side, or we know that there's a, somebody in Russia trying to get into one of our networks, it came in through a, um, a piece of a normal software update. 
which tells me that um, these whoever was behind it, I believe it was Russia, um, has penetrated our software um, infrastructure. So we've got Russians working within software companies and network companies. And as they develop um, uh, updates, normal standard updates that all companies basically go through to protect and keep their systems current, they actually were introducing this new virus. Wow. Yeah. And so we have no tools at this point. All of our billions and billions of dollars we spent on cyber protection are spent uh, have been spent on the front end to try and detect, protect us from attacks. We have no tools, mechanisms, or techniques to basically try and say, well, how do we go through all of the software updates now and double check that one of these updates that might be named and in a, in a, might be look like a normal update um, um, be nefarious or malicious. Hey folks, Pastor Bob here. We're all out of time for today's portion of this great interview with Guy Morris, but I want to tell you right now that what Guy Morris has been sharing should be a wake-up call to end-time prophecy experts everywhere. I mean, we've seen or heard about the potential dangers of AI, artificial intelligence, and what it could have. Guy Morris has the industry background to be able to speak to this from an inside perspective, and he's authored some great books that detail a possible fictional end-time scenario, but one that could also prove to be very, very real. I mean, you've only heard part one of this interview so far from what turned out to be a great three-part interview. I just couldn't stop asking Guy Morris questions on this topic. I mean, we discuss his books, yes, but folks, like I said, this goes way beyond a book or books. The topic of discussion is not if something like this could happen, but when. I believe we are inching ever closer to the climactic ending when Jesus returns. And interviews like this just sinks that realization home even more. Amen? But you need to come back for part two of our interview coming up in the very next episode as Guy Morris takes us deeper down the tunnel of what could be the AI's version of the end times as depicted in his fictional thriller books. Be sure to drop down the show notes and order your copies of his books today. I got mine and it's hard to put down. Praise God, I'm telling you. Order your copies today. Till next time, it's Pastor Bob reminding you to be blessed in all that you do. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast so you can be notified when another episode is published. With over 800 interviews and 1,000 published episodes, Pastor Bob is known as a podcasting expert for helping others to create their own podcast to share their messages with the world. Please visit our website at www.podcastersforchrist.com. That web address again is www.podcastersforchrist.com for more information. Until next time, be blessed in all that you do. Are you a Christian entrepreneur, coach, or author with a message that needs to be heard? Picture this, your voice reaching thousands, your story inspiring hearts, and your business flourishing like never before. Introducing Faithcasters, the ultimate platform that connects faith-driven professionals like you with the power of podcasting. Become a sought-after guest on Faith-Based Podcasts. Share your unique insights and connect with like-minded individuals who share your passion for faith and entrepreneurship as well. 
Imagine your expertise reaching a wider audience, expanding your network, and propelling your business to new heights. Well, it's all within reach with Faithcasters. So don't wait. Take the first step today on your journey to greatness by visiting our website at faithcaster.org. That's faithcaster.org. Join the Faithcasters community now and unleash the full potential of your faith-driven enterprise. You do not want to miss this opportunity. Faithcasters, where faith meets podcasting and your dreams become reality. Visit faithcaster.org. Let's soar together. And remember, anyone can be a podcaster, but only a Christian can become a faithcaster. Faithcasters, your voice, your platform, your success.